Well, good evening and good morning, EPL State of Mind listeners. It is that glorious time of the week again where I have the immense pleasure of hosting yet another thrilling episode with my tremendously passionate and informative co-hosts, Sean and Kyle. This week's cast will get you, everyone, I think, in the tri-state area excited for the biggest news to hit us in years. Wrap up a relatively quiet transfer window and check, and before I need to check my surroundings to make sure that I don't have any Sean-made booby traps, We'll take a deep dive into this past week's double feature action. I know we're all extremely excited to get started and talk about Arsenal. So what do you guys say? Let's start off as always and talk about Jorginho. And by Jorginho, I mean the hot news and the World Cup. That was so, so bad. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> You're like, I was going to do something with like world class and World Cup, but I just was like, let's get short, sweet to the point. Jorginho did it. It's the World Cup coming to MetLife Stadium. Final of 2026. Kyle, take it away, my friend. Yeah, this is extremely exciting for us. Mostly for us, though. I mean, we're going to have almost a billion people coming in and going to East Rutherford and realizing this is just in the swamps. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the good news is that the Giants fan base should grow tenfold in 2026. That'll be exciting. But, the you know, as far as real football is concerned, what this really means for us is that you know, the United States is going to get the first game of the World Cup because it's hosted by the U.S. But the last game is going to be right here in New York. So we're going to be closing and opening this World Cup. It's going to be a lot of fun. I think it's going to be huge for New York soccer specifically and massive for the MLS. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a big shock. I, I know a lot of it was going back and forth, whether or not this would be at SoFi Stadium, which is the home of the Los Angeles Rams, or in Dallas, the home of the Cowboys, just because of those are more up-to-date, state-of-the-art facilities. Uh, but I think what overall did it <clears throat> was the mega that is New York City, the world-renowned center of the universe. MetLife Stadium uh, seats roughly 82,500 spectators. So it is one of the largest that we have here in the country. Uh, so obviously that plays a massive role. And then you know, New York City and the tri-state area has a lot of housing avail availability, especially with New York City being as gigantic as it is. It's easy to get to and from the stadium. But yeah, Kyle, I mean, like when we first saw this, I was picturing, oh, how sick is it going to see like Brazil versus France in SoFi Arena in this gigantic stadium that is state-of-the-art? No, now we get to play it outdoors in the beating hot sun that I think if you remember, when when did I go to the, when was the, it was July. It must have been July when I went to the the uh, <clears throat> Arsenal-Man U game, and I was sweating my nuts off in the middle of the day in this open arena. So, obviously, I'm super stoked that's going to be in our backyard. It is going to an EPL State of Mind World Cup final. Sean, what's your take on on this, this declaration? Yeah, obviously, like you said, very exciting. Um, I think... To Kyle's point, tourists are going to be livid with the fact that they're attending a game at a giant air conditioning unit. Um, but <laughs> beyond that, I think the my only negative thing to say about MetLife, and I have several, but just, you know, you referenced that Manchester United Arsenal game that we both attended this past summer. MetLife is terrible to get to from a public transit um, standpoint. And if you look back to Super Bowl 48, which is the only Super Bowl that they've hosted at MetLife, it was the disaster in terms of all the media people like getting in and out of there. And that needs to be fixed in the next two years. But waiting on um, NJ Transit to get their shit together is like waiting for Tottenham to get a trophy. You know what I mean? It's, it just it doesn't <laughs> happen. So you might as well forget about it. Yeah, there was a there was a public service announcement <clears throat> earlier in the year. To the, to the local area of East Rutherford that said, if you are not attending the Taylor Swift concert, do not go on the road by the stadium. I can only imagine with at least 95% of my brain and my heart that the World Cup final will bring more traffic and more attention than the Taylor Swift concert did. Now, I'm sure we'll hear a lot of people say that maybe not. It's very questionable. We won't ask our girlfriends about it, but we will ask each other, and I think we can all agree. But with that being said, very excited. Obviously, 2026 is going to be a huge year for us in the States, Mexico, and Canada. Could not be more excited to see this. Again, we have so many young talents that are just coming up through the English Premier League and the surrounding top five leagues as well. So we are going to be having to save quite a bit of pennies from now till then. So we'll figure that one out. But until then, let's get back to the EPL and we can talk about 
how many pennies were not spent in this transfer window. Sean, bring us through the happening or the lack thereof this winter window. Yeah, what a wonderful transition by you. So big shout there. But um, just a hundred million pounds spent in this window, which is seven hundred and fifteen million less pounds spent than last year. Obviously, there was accentuating circumstances. There's always a lot of moves after a World Cup. This is the first ever Winter World Cup. Um, but still, Chelsea spent more on Enzo Fernandez, £105 million, than all 20 teams combined did in this window. Um, the top signing was not even a quarter of Enzo Fernandez's fee. It was Radu Dragasin to Tottenham. That was the highest mark. And um, like, like you alluded to in you know, throughout the window previously, there was not a lot of top moves made by the top clubs. Yeah. I think this year we saw more than not the effects of FFP, right? It's a financial fair play rule that comes into factor here in this window. Specifically, a lot of teams will do their magic money moves in the summer. And as you noted before, no one really did. Out of the top 20, we had less spent and then one singular person, and that one single person getting on a tangent here probably wasn't worth it, but we'll figure it out from there. But <clears throat> with that being say, said, you, you can see the FFP rules really coming to effect with major players like Chelsea, Arsenal, Newcastle, Aston Villa, and even Man United. Um, even though a lot of them don't ever have a history of spending money in the winter transfer window, it you know the ability to spend money was regulated because of FFP. And just a couple top teams here that, that entered the window or exited the window, rather, with zero transfers with Arsenal, Everton, Liverpool, and Man U. You know, <clears throat> from an Arsenal standpoint, I know we tried to, you know, scrounge up some some pennies here and there to get someone and just wasn't in the cards because of FFP. And, Sean, you've alluded to it multiple times. That's why we have a loan to buy of of David Rea. We just we can't afford it at the moment, and it, a lot of teams are coming into that situation. So there are some key highlights, though, at the window, a lot of them being low knees. And the first one, because we were talking about the United States men's national team via the World Cup in 2026, comes from our backyard, which is Gio Rena. He signs on loan from for Nottingham Forest from Borussia Dortmund after having a bit of a lackluster performance last year due to injuries, coming off of a pretty good World Cup when he was in without the Greg Berhalter, you know, extravaganza. But Sean, take us away through this loan, and, and I don't know how Nottingham Forest don't get a, uh, a FFP rule deduction now with, with this as well. But take us through this this loan. Yeah, so I think that's part of the reason why they they were active in the loan market as opposed to going after him on a permanent basis is because they are, are up against it with FFP. They've been fined or charged with a breach of FFP rule or a profit and sustainability rules in the Premier League. Um. But yeah, for Gio Reyna, it's an opportunity to get game time, which he really has not had much of this year. Um, he's only played 360 minutes for Dortmund all season long, um, which is basically the equivalent of four four matches um, for a 21 year old who's supposed to be, you know, kind of on the ascend. It just it's not acceptable. I know a big part of that, like you mentioned, is due to injuries. Um, but things just really have not gone well for him since falling out with Greg Berhalter, the drama related to. His parents trying to get Berhalter removed from the USMNT head job. Um, so this is uh, an important move for him, particularly with um, Copa America being hosted as well in the U.S. this summer. He wants to play himself into that starting 11. He needs to show out on this loan in Forest. And Forest down you know, near, near the relegation zone certainly could use uh, someone with his creativity and versatility being able to play on either wing or, or through the middle as well you know, to spell Morgan Gibbs-White. So... Good opportunity, I think, for, for all sides. Dortmund, you know, if he does flourish, can sell him in the summer or, you know, maybe potentially give him a chance, you know, with a little bit more confidence next summer or next year, excuse me, and, and Forrest, it's, it's a talented young player. Joining Matty T, another American over there already on a, on a transfer from Arsenal in the summer. So nice to see those two link up and, and hopefully it helps. But uh, Kyle, you guys were on the opposite end of loanees or loans this this winter window. Really, you did fully purchase somebody, but sent them back out to their original team uh, to finish up the season. But you did lose Calvin Phillips for the remainder of the year, joining West Ham on loan. Take us through this a little bit. Yeah, very very strategic from Pep. With the departure of Calvin Phillips, we should be safe for the financial fair play now. 
so that's massive. <laughs> but um, you know, it was it was time. He he made four starts in eighteen months at City, and Pep did say this was I want to say around December time. In an interview, he said that Calvin Phillips is a sad story at Man City because of his talent. He's an all-around player that, you know, he reminds me a lot of Renata Sanchez back in the old FIFA days where his circle was just, he could defend, shoot, pace, dribble. He could do it all, just nothing world-class. He's a he's a, a solid B to B plus in every single category. And on a team like City, that's not going to get you a starting position because they have solid A pluses at their positions. So yeah. even Pep admitted it's a sad story for him. So I'm I'm personally very happy to see him go out. He's he's heading over to West Ham. He's going to get his starting time now. Uh, it's been a, a rough start for him, I will say. Both matches he's played, he's had errors that directly led to goals. But, you know, he's he's heading from Manchester to, uh, what is it, London? He's out there yeah. now? Yeah, so it's, yeah. as we all know, it's a very tumultuous bus drive. You know, it, it really I thought you guys flew to Brentford today. Yeah, it takes <laughs> it out of you. So I mean, once he settles in, you know, buys that million dollar apartment, you know, gets it all going. Yeah. I'm not that worried about him. So I think this yeah. is a good move for both City and for Calvin Phillips. Yeah, he's going to take a little bit of time to get his feet underneath him at West Ham. You know, not playing a lot of games at a high level is going to take that. So I would peg him as one of the, the players. So just keep your eye on for the rest of the of the winter half of the season, the later in the spring. Uh, one other one I, I kind of throw in here just as a, almost a knock to, to Chelsea is Armando Abroja joins Fulham from Chelsea on loan till the end of the season. The 22-year-old striker featured 13 times in a very heavily roaded Chelsea side, only grabbing one goal in their 2-0 win over his new team, Fulham. Um, I add this in here because with Nicholas Jackson not playing up to snuff, and Nkuku currently injured again. It's going to be very, very fitting that yet another Chelsea reject could possibly succeed elsewhere. And Sean, you make a great point here. He's got a very similar style of striker to uh, to Mitrovic, who was a, a who is now, I guess, uh, this is Broja, a six foot two physical target man striker from the Balkans, right? So Broja, meaning Albania, and, and Mitro from Serbia who is notably departed to Al-Halal in the Saudi Pro League, it's a very like-for-like -like substitution. In the beginning of the season of our season preview episode, we had mentioned we don't know where the goals are going to come from with the missing of Mitrovic. Fulham had a great start to the season, kind of sold us that, hey, they they have a couple options to use, and, it, and it's been nice to see them kind of have a little bit of upswing. They're going down right now, but maybe this is who they need to help out balance that team a little bit more on the top portion of it um with that target man i think it's very 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 possible and with the chelsea to another team history i think it's also very possible that we see a bit of a resurgence from him here which would be which would be fantastic on all fronts um other than that that's kind of the winter transfer window in a quick summary not a lot of action like we said before but it's definitely the opposite case for what happened this week we did have a double week feature with extremely exciting and kind of just absolutely bonkers games. And I think the team that probably takes it away with a double victory week is probably Manchester United. And uh, we start off with them, and their latest fixture was their winning over West Ham. It was 3-0, and the XGs to this was West Ham United 1.84 to Manchester United 0.83, which doesn't tell the same story, obviously. So, Sean, why don't you kick it off? Give us your dialogue. Paint the picture. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think um, to the point you just made on the XG standpoint, Onana played really, really well in this game, his first game back, coming back um, from AFCON duty. But the the whole story of the week for Manchester United is the young guns stepping up and, and really carrying him this week. Um, particularly in this game, Rasmus Hoyland had a goal and, and Garnacho scored a brace. Um, we'll talk about Kobe Maino's winner against Wolves as well. And it, it's it's a huge week for them because they've now moved into sixth place. We talked about it on the Halfway Hopes and Horrors episode, and my take has aged pretty well, as have yours, James, to be fair. But I said the two teams I expected to go in opposite directions, Manchester United on the ascent. They've won th three straight games for only the second time all year. And on the decline, West Ham United, who have dropped points in three of their last four games. Um, I, I just think overall... United were very clinical with their chances, particularly the Hoyland chance. 
that's a striker's finish. Gets it and mm. just takes one touch to open up space and then smashes it in. Very, very impressive, you know, week overall for them. Um, and it just seems like, to, to a note that you have here, they've started to score quite a bit more um, over their last, you know, few games. Yeah, they have now scored nine goals in the past three games, which is one goal less than one-third of their total goals for the tally of 23 games in the season so far, 31 goals. Uh, or Sorry, the math didn't check out, which is two goals less than their current goal tally. 30, 31 minus two, nine. Uh, yeah, we're good. Okay, we got it. So of the past... <laughs> Of the past, that would be four yeah. goals less than one third. Thank you. Four goals less than one third. Nine times three. Yeah. Well, I've said it. You know. Yes. Correct. Listen, you're, this you're, is not a math technically... podcast, guys. All right, just bear with us. Yeah, that's I just, it. What, right. It's, I'm pretty sure one third of thirty-one would be ten. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which I'm pretty sure is what Itch. I what I said. Right. Yeah. I don't know where I got four from. I uh, this. Only one of us works in finance, and it's the guy who. Yeah, we got we got to break off. this down. Hold on. They've scored thirty-one <laughs> goals. <laughs> They've scored thirty-one goals. They have nine in their last three games. One more goal in their last three games is just roughly one third of yes. their total goals, and that yes. is what we're sticking with. Print it. We're pressing it on. But nine of the six of their last nine have come nice. from, and we call them the young guns. I'm gonna try to coin this one: the terrific toddlers. Right. So you got Garnacho. Age of 19, he put himself into two goals. Hoyland, the age of 21, with three. And Mayno, with age of 18, who has arguably been their best second half of the season player so far, with one game winner. You know, if I was a Manchester United fan, I would be screaming on the top of the hill, see what we can do with the squad we're supposed to have. The 3-4 win over the Wolves was a perfect example of that. And Kyle, I know you want to dive into this a little bit more, but if you're going to highlight this fixture just for how exciting the entertainment was, it's also because Eric Ten Hag was actually able to roster what I see as their preferred squad, even without Sean, your favorite player in the entire EPL, Mason Mount, still being unavailable. You know, you look at the starting <laughs> 11 and you have Onana, Diego Dallo, Varane, and I'm highlighting the next four guys, Varane, Martinez, Shaw, and Casemiro. Those are four guys that have not played a single game together this entire season. And it really showed how important Casemiro yet again, Casemiro yet again was. Martinez, Varane being the two in the center there is extremely important. Mayno, we spoke about before, was also starting. He's been an absolute massive clog in the center of this field for them. Rashford, who picked up a... Uh, you know, a bit of flack for his 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 issues and his outing at Belfast, uh, but came in and scored a goal. You had Fernandez, who had been playing relatively well, and then Garnacho and Hoyland. And I think that's your starting eleven. You want to keep those guys fit, and that's that's Manchester United. Absolutely, and I think um, just you, you touched upon the importance of Casemiro. Uh, the introduction of Mayno is huge for United as well because he has the legs to cover where. Casemiro's probably lost a yard of pace in the last 12 months even, um, whereas a guy like Christian Eriksen just doesn't have that type of engine anymore. Um, and I think Mayno pairs really well and creates a little bit more balance in that midfield um, with Casemiro being the more defensive player but also being able to ping things around. Mayno being your, your pure box-to-box -box guy, a lot of energy, and then obviously you have Fernandez as the attacking midfielder. Yeah. Really exciting, and real fast before we, I pass it over to you, Kyle, to talk about the seven goals in the last two games that they've had. But I highlighted Martinez in that starting 11, and unfortunately uh, we just got word today that he is going to be out for another six to eight weeks with a sprained ligament in his knee. So I know, um, Sean, you have a, a relatively friendly note here that says, and I quote, Happens when you're five foot nine, but act like you're six three. That might fly in the Netherlands, but not in the Premier's physicality. So I don't necessarily disagree with that, but uh, yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's just an, an unfortunate blow to the Manchester United after getting finally Aaron Te Eric Ten Hag the ability to have a little bit more depth and selection. Yeah, yeah. No, we'll we'll dive into the uh, the absolute fun fest that was Wolves and Manu. But before I do, I do want to just highlight um, Rashford's goal from the weekend. It was a thing of class. So if you guys haven't seen that, that's probably, I mean, other than Richarlison's second, it was, I think, probably the best goal of the weekend. And, you know, that game also showcased how physical Casemiro really is when he plays football. And that is something that 
needs to be in the Premier League. You will not win games without that type of physicality, and it was shown on their first goal. He just absolutely dove in and got that ball, and it led directly to a goal. But yeah. we'll get to the fun game, which was Wolves versus Man U. It was a seven-goal thriller and five goals coming in the last 19 minutes of open play. It was a yeah. lot of fun to watch. There was 37 shots, pretty much equal possession and passing throughout the game for both teams. Seven yellow cards, something we'd like to see in the ETL state of mind. <laughs> um, you know, the one highlight I would give Wolves was Pablo Sarabia. I think he's an absolute freak when it comes to his left foot in the Premier League. He was you know, the maestro of the team. He scored a penalty kick for him, which really started off the goal streak for Wolves in the second half. But as far as Man U was concerned, this was this was awesome. I mean, four goals scored. You don't want to let up three to a team like the Wolves, but it happens. You know, Man U was always controlling the game. They were up by two at two separate points of the game. And you got goals from Rashford, Hoyland, McTominay, and then Mainu with the game winner in the 94th minute. It's exactly nice. what you want to be seeing. You know, they panned over to Sir Alex Ferguson in the crowd after the goal. And, I mean, he just had a smile ear to ear on his face. And it's something that you haven't been seeing. Every time they pan over to Sir Alex in the stands lately, it's just been after shit and shit and shit. And he is just, he's just, he looks deflated. Like, he has such a diehard love for this team. And to see what they did to his team is just sad at this point. But I don't, I don't know how much more he would have been able to take. Well, he would never be in this situation. I mean, if they hired him back right now, they'd be jumping to the top four by the next year. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, it was a lot, a lot of fun to watch, guys. Just tune in. Just put on the last 20 minutes. Start the game in the yeah. 70th and just enjoy. I think technically this last week that we had, the second half of the double week fixture, had the most goals scored in a week at the EPL for a while. And the main reason of this is because of the next slugfest that was Newcastle United 4, Luton Town 4 at St. James's Park. And if you don't already know that St. James's Park is a very difficult place to go to, when you're coming from them, your hometown, which has the smallest park that you play in, playing at Newcastle is definitely not an easy feat. And it was quite an exciting game back and forth the entire time. We had an XG Newcastle 2.5 to Luton Town 2.39 which is about as close as you're going to get on this. So, Sean, why don't you, why don't you and Kyle kind of talk about how, how wild this game was? Yeah, absolutely. To start it off, I mean, um, I think Newcastle scored within seven or eight minutes of the game starting, and we've talked about him quite a bit uh, in the last month or two. It just shows the double-edged sword of having Kieran Trippier in your team this year. Um, he starts the game off, like I said, assisting that, that Sean Longstaff goal, and then... Um, I think they went up 2-1 at one point. Then Luton goes all the way up to make it 4-2. Uh, and the second and fourth goal, Trippier is nowhere to be found defensively. The fourth one in particular, he just kind of like steps up to press. Luton just plays it quickly around him and then just comes in on a break and, and ends up finishing it with an, a nice finish from Adebayo, who's in tremendous form. I think he's got four in his last three. Um but then he starts to come back for Newcastle with a really classy volleyed finish um, to make it three. And then Harvey Barnes came in and makes an immediate impact um, off the bench in the 72nd minutes equalized. His first appearance since September 24th, professional finish, Kyle. It's, he looked like a young Kyle Mansley out there. <laughs> Harvey Barnes well, is one of the players that we highlighted at the beginning of the season as a great pickup from Newcastle from a recently relegated Leicester City and was one of the oh, very hard losses if you're a Newcastle fan to have just because he's, in the terms of basketball, probably sixth man of the year for a lot of teams right off the bench. You want to get him in. You want to get him his legs underneath him. But quite an exciting team to, to watch to maybe see have a little bit of comeback. And then Luton Town, I know we'll talk about them later on in the, in the show, but talk about a team that is really starting to to groove and find their form. So very exciting to see them progress, and hopefully we get to see them stay above that relegation line. But I think it's time for the moment that we've all been waiting for. It was deemed the game of the season in terms of needing to have a result on both sides for Liverpool to, to get a W and really secure their, their title contention, and then for Arsenal to really secure their hopes of staying within the EPL state of mind title race. Because right now we still have it, boys. It's Arsenal, 
Liverpool and Manchester City duking it out for this final lap going to the run-in. But why don't we go ahead and, and start this? And, and Sean, I'll let you kind of guide us through this process a little bit if you want to take the reins and, and kind of rattle off some stuff before we, we go back and forth and, and talk about. But I would like to say real fast before we get into this, uh, there was a metal detector at Mulligan's. I made sure that Sean and I both went through it at least twice to ensure that there were no sharp and or pointy objects. But we, I think it was, it was very civil. Are, are watching at, at Mulligan's. It was quite enjoyable. Uh, I know a little bit more for me than you, but what did what did you get from this Liverpool matchup at at at, at the Emirates? Sure, absolutely. Um, obviously, a really disappointing performance from Liverpool. Probably their worst of the season so far. But at the end of the day, you have to credit Arsenal for for how they set up in this game. I think um, the biggest thing for me is that Liverpool really played into Arsenal's hands in terms of it was a much more slow-tempo, controlled game, which is it's how Arsenal wants to play. Um, from the outset, their press was stifling. It was difficult for Liverpool to build up. And something that I thought was really interesting was that Joe Gomez, even with Trent reintroduced to the starting lineup, was that Joe Gomez was doing the inverting, and Trent was more of the width player, um, staying out wide and, and kind of running running the channel, or not the channels, but along the sideline. So I thought he got on the ball less than he probably should have. Perhaps that's because it's his first start coming off of injury. He's only played about um, 40 minutes total between the two previous games in his appearances off the bench. Um, this game came at a really bad time in some ways, but overall I think just a game played at the tempo Arsenal wants to play. Um, I think what one thing that is interesting is that Arteta, who has been very focused on his control of games, played almost a, a different style in this game where Arsenal were a bit more open or willing to be open to seed control of the ball. Um, Liverpool possessed it 57 to 43, um, but Arsenal were the much more dangerous team in counterattacking opportunities. Um, and I think my, my biggest takeaway is just... Um, Arsenal were the better team on the day and deserved the three points. Uh, that the, the game or the thing that really reared its head is is that midfield that you said would would outplay Liverpool nine times out of ten. Well, it it only happened one out of the three times, but it certainly was the case on this day. I think McAllister yep. was isolated in terms of being the only Liverpool player to have a good performance in the midfield um, versus you know three very strong performances from Bryce, Jorginho, and Odegaard. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It was it was a very entertaining game to watch, even if uh, if you're a, a nine non biased bystander. Uh, a four goal game is always exciting, and that to see two goals happen the way that they did happen in this game was was remarkable. And from like the start to the finish, you know, obviously Arsenal came in this game, I think, more desperate for the win than Liverpool did just to to re enter that title race. I, I before the game started, I, I told a bunch of my friends, I said, "How are you feeling?" I said, "Listen, we lose, and now it's top four for the rest of the season, making sure that we had it." So this win is is a huge mood booster for us all. Um, and, you know, we continue our 2024 run as the only team without a loss to a fellow member of the Big Six, which to me is a gigantic stat. It's one of the craziest ones for me coming from where Arteta started. This conversation of Arsenal not being able to play against the Big Six anymore is is now kind of starting to wither away a little bit, which for me is 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 a great direction to see the team going in. And, you know, just as the game itself, you, you brought up a really a lot of good points. You know, Arsenal definitely dominated that first half. Uh, crazy stat is that Liverpool didn't have a single shot on target, but ended the first half with a goal. Obviously, coming from the own goal from Gabriel, who had a tremendous game for the most part, and that is always kind of, uh, you know, second fiddle to Saliba back there. But obviously, it didn't take much take too long to get back in the game from Arsenal. Liverpool obviously going to the locker room with a lifeline there got me extremely nervous. Seeing the lineup come out in the second half with Zinchenko injury and then having Jakub Kivor coming in definitely concerned me as well based off his recent form. But he, he played and participated extremely well on that left side, not allowing a lot of balls to get through crosswise. Um, obviously, Arsenal were then returned the favor after probably 10 to 15 minutes of domination from Liverpool coming out of the half you know, really switched up the game plan a little bit. Uh, it seems that they always are able to recoup when they talk to Klopp in, in, in the in the locker room. 
but obviously handed a massive boost with one of the largest defensive errors I think we'll ever see Van Dyke and Allison get into in their careers. Obviously, there was a, a strong presence of a, of a pest who is Martinelli whenever the ball goes up there, but definitely a little nudge in the back from him on a very physical Virgil Van Dyke. He's, he said hit the weight room a few times, kind of pushed him into the direction of Allison, which obviously neither player wants to kill each other, so it probably eased their, you know, their their want for the ball a little bit and fell nicely to Martinelli for an open net. But again, like you said, the middle field is really the middle of the pitch is where the the game was won for us. And and I got to highlight, you know, Jorginho. I mean, secret agent, world class Jorginho. World class Jorginho. That's it. I'm gonna keep saying it. First of all, you got to sell Mr. World of Glass, who is Thomas Party, to get him out of here because he is not required anymore, only eats away at our wage bill, and these injuries just can't stop. Jorginho was brought in last year to help this situation out, so let the man eat. Granted, he's 32 years old and probably made of the similar material of Glass as Party after a few uses, but here's here's what Jorginho brought to the game. He finished first in accurate passes, first in passes in the final third, touches, interceptions, and duels won. The man was everywhere. He and Rice were everywhere in the center of the pitch. This is, to me, it allowed a massive overload on that right side to help a Martin support Saka while keeping the long cross pitch switch alive to Martinelli, which you could tell was a massive factor in it, caused a lot of issues for him. And then even when Trissard came on board with a with a with a brilliant individual goal to seal the deal with Trissard, obviously, I think for me it's a great win from Arsenal. But you have to look at it. One of the main reasons that Arsenal won this game is because Liverpool, like you said, didn't have it wasn't the right time for him. You know, Nunez was out of the, the starting lineup, which I didn't fully understand. I still don't think we have the answer whether it was a knock or not. But that forced Jota to go out to the Jota go out to the wide, Gapko starting up top, um, in, in the middle, and you have Gravenberch come in for Dominic Sobislai, which is a tremendous downgrade in each player's respective form at the moment. And of course, you don't have Salah, which requires no explanation there. It was kind of the perfect storm for Liverpool. Great management by choices, great management choices by Arteta, um, and just a shallow selection pool, no pun intended, for Klopp. Um, so I, I think, I mean, it's a big blow to your tile hope, Sean, but you're still in first. It's a three-man race now. Man City has one game in hand, two points behind only above Arsenal in uh, goals for differential. And we, we've got ourselves a race here. Absolutely. I, I think that's the main takeaway here is that Arsenal's certainly here to play. They have uh, a game against Manchester City at the end of March, and, and that'll be huge, obviously, as well. You know, you need to take care of business up to that point. Um, but that'll give you another opportunity to take points off them. Liverpool and, and Man City also will square off on March 9th. Um, so there's, you know, if that's that game, let's say hypothetically at Anfield is a draw, you know, there's opportunity again for, for Arsenal to, to gain ground on both teams. Um, but yeah, I, I do agree with a lot of what you said there. I think Liverpool is particularly out of the half. I said it to, to our boy Juan, who we watched the game with, you know, going in tied 1-1 and, and really being completely dominated in that first half was like, I'll take this all day. I'd bite your hand off if you offered it to me. Yeah. Um, but I think they came out with with a lot of intent and and created actually something in the second half for for a few minutes. Um, the thing that was really puzzling to me, like you said, the Nunez um, benching was strange. Every game Liverpool's lost this season, which is four in all competitions, Nunez has been benched. So he didn't play in the Tottenham game. Obviously, you know, not starting, and then there was red card, so you don't bring a striker on in that situation. Um, and then Toulouse, he was a 76-minute sub. Union San Joa, he was a 67th-minute sub. And then this game, he came on around the the hour mark. Um, the unfortunate thing for me is also Trent coming back from injury. He didn't have a full 90 in him, but you'd almost love to have 5-10 minutes of Trent on the pitch with Nunez where Trent can play those long balls in behind to cause some problems for that defense. There really just was no service for him um, once he came on, so there was just not a lot he could do. Um, so that was frustrating, but I also understand, like you said, some, sometimes it just comes down to timing and, um, Kyle, I mean, you're, you're the unbiased, you know, third party spectator here. I'd like to hear some of your perspective on, on, on this game and, and what you thought. Yeah. Um, I had two key takeaways. One was about Nunez, him not starting. I thought that was kind of fair. 
to be honest. I mean, he hit the woodwork four times midweek and missed the penalty. So, you know, he missed two to three big chances in the week, and this was a bigger game. So, you know, I do understand the choice to put in the clinical finishers, but as James mentioned earlier, Liverpool's four losses this season all come in games when Nunez doesn't start. So, you know, I can see the argument for yes, and I can see the argument for no. The other, you know, thing I want to touch upon is the class of Virgil van Dijk after the incident. We'll call it the incident. But, yeah, <laughs> after the incident in the back with Allison, where they just, you know, gave the goal straight away to Martinelli, you'd expect it to get to him. Any player, you'd expect it, you know, to rattle the head. This guy turns around, takes full responsibility, talks to all of his players, gets them back, focused. We can still do this. It was an, a master class of how you are supposed to be a captain in the Premier League. Um, yeah. Other than that, I mean, I thought it was just a good game. A lot of back and forth. I think Arsenal controlled a lot of the game. Not that surprising they're at home. But, you know, I think if this happens one month from now at Anfield, it's a completely different story. A completely different storyline, in my opinion. This just, you know, a lot of stuff's going on with Liverpool right now between Klopp, Salah, Trent's getting back on form. You know, a game earlier in the week. I, I can understand why they didn't play to where they should be. But I think the big takeaway for this is that, as James and Sean said, Arsenal's back. They're not, and I don't even want to say back, but Arsenal's in this race. They are a, a for sure dog in the fight. So yeah. I think at this point, it's going to be a, a three legged race. I mean, Aston Villa is still up there. I don't see them Stop. retaining they have any no of this. Chance. Yeah, I, I don't see it. So I, I think this is going to be a good a good race. I think March is going to be the deciding month. There are some big fixtures in March. Absolutely. So that this is going to lead to, I mean, February is my favorite month of the year for football. We have games every single day. But, you know, March is going to be a big one too. Yeah. So I sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Uh we entertained Logan when he came on and he said, you know, he, he gave no respect to Arsenal or Liverpool and said that it was just between City and Villa. Um let's just go on record here. Aston Villa has no chance of being in this race. They will finish seven, maybe eight points off whoever ends up winning the league, maybe even worse. Um they are you're, you're three points behind Man City and they have a game in hand right now. You're not winning the league. That's that's just the reality of it with a fit De Bruyne and a fit Holland back now. No chance. So, if you're below Man City right now, focus on getting it, you know, that fourth spot. It's the fourth you're spot. Competing against Tottenham, you're not competing yep. with with Liverpool, City or Arsenal. You're just not. Does the no, uh, I, does the fifth spot still get Champions League this year? Because City won it, it last depends. year. It depends. It depends on on how the rest of the English Premier League teams do in European competition. So we got three in Europa, only two in Champions League, which is a blow for that um, that part of it. And then uh, Villa in the Conference League. So you basically yeah, need Arsenal and City to go for. really deep, and then one of City or Arsenal, and then one of Brighton, Liverpool, or West Ham to win the Europa. So for that to happen. We'll see. It, it really just it, it comes down to the performance of of the Premier League in European competition, and and obviously, uh, I think Italy and Spain are are the other two main candidates in that front. Yeah, all four teams, I believe, from Syria are still in 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 the Champions League. Yes, it does return this month later on, so that will play another factor into into these title races and the competitors in that too. So we'll we'll keep everyone appraised of that. For now, though, we'll take a quick break rattle off some rapid fires and then do a quick little segment to look ahead and, and we'll get to your your seventh i think or eighth lock of the week kyle hopefully it can get some redemption in there i don't, don't need redemption back. i won last last time come on two and four yeah, yeah two yeah. and four is still yeah, we're, we're not calling it an upward trend until we get a couple James, in you a, are two three and one as a result of an act of cowardice all right yeah mr yeah. i know bet i don't want to hear it technically yeah, i didn't say that i was doing well it's across the board we're performing relatively poorly of course when we're not doing our lock of the week we do well off off record but uh until then, stick around and we'll, we'll come yeah, back. Yeah, just with for our, the our record, I will tell you that James did correctly call like four or five matches this weekend, and then texted right away like, "I, I, I don't understand how our lock of the week is." So <laughs> yeah, big shout out to Villa and Brighton for that one. But we'll come right back and we'll we'll hopefully get you a secure lock.
So just giving you kind of a rapid fire recap of some of the other games that occurred over the last seven days. We know we talked about a double match week. Talking about doubles, Richarlison doubles up against his old team, Everton, to bring his total to nine goals in his last eight Premier League games. Not in form, though, Kyle. Am I correct? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I, absolutely wrong on that. I mean, he's one of my favorite players. He's been on fire lately and you know he's showing signs of class i'm sure you saw the goal celebrations his shirt was over his head and then he remembered i met everton and put it right back <laughs> yeah that was that was shocking to say the least from him pretty cool to see but um i guess even if he did celebrate everton got the last laugh in that game because they scored an equalizer late off a of jared branthwaite header stop me if you've ever heard this one before everton score under Sean Dyche with a set piece. Shocking, I know. Um, but um, like like you talked about last week, James, Spurs have not won at Goodison Park since December of 2018. And it keeps on rolling. It keeps on rolling. But someone who who couldn't stop rolling today after the first, first goal was Phil Foden, Kyle. That's right. That's right. I mean, we were just talking about doubles. How about we talk about triples his and doubles? I mean, his second career hat trick. How about that? Wow. What a that mean, transition, bro. Big Woo! stuff. Big st I mean, his first hat trick came against United last year when Holland and Foden both had hat tricks in their 6-3 win, which was, I mean, the amount of records broken that day was just astronomical. Love to see that shit. But, you know, with that win, that puts City two points back at Liverpool with a game in hand. So I, I think this is the warpath. This happens to every winner. Pep comes back from Christmas break, and he does not lose. And honestly, with De Bruyne and Holland both healthy now, I don't see him losing in the near future up until those big, big matchups in March. And that's when it gets dicey. It'll be tough. It would be very difficult to try to to stop a, a rolling Holland and Pep Guardiola, um, a team that you know tried to keep their positivity going. Split the week was Wolves. They didn't quite have the week they were hoping for after losing to a, as we mentioned before, a thriller. To Manchester United for three, do a late Kobe Manu winner. Uh, but another hat trick for a player that we have highlighted a few times here is Mateus Cunha. He led the way with the hat trick over Chelsea in a 4 2 absolutely dominating performance this weekend. As the first time this season, they have reached the top half. They did a full on swap with Chelsea. Uh, not, uh, Wolves are now in 10th, and Chelsea are now in 11th. And speaking of Chelsea, I have to talk about David Detro Fofana, who is a lone E from Chelsea, somebody we didn't mention at the end of the transfer window. On his debut for Burnley, he scores a brace to rescue a point in the 91st minute. Um, just their third point in their last nine matches. I think I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to be the Kyle this year. Sheffield United, Burnley, your feathers get out of my sight. Yeah. I can agree, especially with I love that. Your, I your love feathers. <laughs> if Burnley, if Burnley take one more L and Everton get another W, it's done. They're definitely stuck in the mud. I'd say for sure, your feathers. Get yeah, out I actually I watched it. Burnley play a little bit. I, I'm telling you, their biggest issue is that they're trying to be better than they are, and I think that stems a lot from Company being the coach, trying to play this team like he's known football his whole career on a top tier team. And it's, you know, you're watching these players throw these through balls, these long shots, these this, that, the other thing. You know, the top four teams, they might be able to get away with those. But this is not the place or the time to try that type of shit. You take your points as as they come. You play for draws when you got to play for draws. And it's not what Burnley's doing at the moment. Welcome to the relegation battle. You have to change your tactic up a little bit here. But a team that doesn't really have to change up their tactic, but obviously we noted that their heights and their hopes might have to be lowered a little bit is Aston Villa. Recovering from their recent stumbles, they thrash Sheffield United 5 nothing with five different goal scorers with a goal and two assess assists in this match for Ollie Watkins. He becomes the second player this season to reach 20 goal contributions after Mo Salah, but he is the first one to make it 10-plus goals and 10-plus assists, making the double-double in those two categories. Ollie Watkins really making a name for himself and hopefully will be able to lead Aston Villa to a top four finish this season. But getting off to leading teams into proper direction, we can talk about our look ahead this week. And our first game that we're going to highlight here is, of course, Aston Villa versus Manchester United at Villa Park. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be massive. A win for United here would 
would really change how this season's going. It would be their first four-game win streak. It puts them, you know, in the race for European soccer, which is going to be at this point in the the running, as we talked about earlier, it's no longer a title race. You get in European football, that's that's your goal at this point. Uh, The first time these two met, United had a three-goal second half and actually claimed the win three to two with a, a an awesome comeback. It was a great game. I expect another great game here at Villa Park. Um, United has their number. That's the bottom line. They've won their last three matches. And people to keep an eye out, obviously, Kobe Mainu. That dude is is special. He's 18 years old, but he has the composure of a 22-year-old who's been in the Premier League for four years. He just straight up does. And then Jacob Ramsey on Villa. He's getting his minutes. He's someone definitely to watch out for. I personally don't see United winning this game i think this is one of those situations where you play for the point and you you know you get the fuck out of villa park as fast as possible (laughs) but you know i I think this is going to be one of the better games of the weekend to look forward to we have a lot of eh, iffy games a lot of very lopsided games but this is going to be a good one yeah i mean you have a you have a six point gap right now between sixth place manchester united Mm -hmm. and fifth place tottenham hotspurs so if you're manchester united I think maybe is is it is the better opinion is you have to play for the win every game for the remainder of the season you need to lessen that gap because god forbid that the epl doesn't get that fifth spot you're now fighting for hopefully conference or europa league to just to survive that especially the fact that right below you is west ham who's had a good season and then who knows brian will be able to find their feet hopefully relatively soon too a lot of stuff to fight for in that middle of the table but like I said before, with West Ham in recent form, I'm going to deem this game the banana peel game of the weekend, and it's a potential win for West Ham over Arsenal at London Stadium. So just when the Gunners were getting hot last year, uh, a tie at this fixture towards the end of the season, for me, was the real fork in us. It came directly after a tie that we let up two goals after being two up against Liverpool, and then we did the same exact thing against West Ham. So for me, this was was a very difficult banana peel selection. Uh, but right now, I feel a little bit comfortable because the form that you know West Ham have been in leans in our favor. Us coming off of a great win over Liverpool when we needed most to keep that momentum going, especially with Champions League right down the window. We want to keep that ball rolling for our trip out to Porto. But this is obviously it could be a a previous past O Arsenal moment. So West Ham have won both of the fixtures against us this year, 2-0 in the league and 3-1 in the Carabao Cup. And then Kudus and uh, uh, Aguerd. I, I, you know, I can never pronounce this guy's Naif. Uh, Naif Aguerd. Aguerd is back from AFCON in time for the Manchester United match, so they should be back for this one. We still don't know about Lucas Paqueta, whether or not he'll be fit or available for the match, but we'll see. So that's my banana peel game of the week. But the next game we're going to highlight, which happens to be part of Kyle's next portion of the episode. But Sean, it's the battle at the bottom. Absolutely. So we have two of the promoted sides playing in this game. We talked about Luton Town finally exiting the relegation zone. Well, they have a tremendous opportunity to further that gap and separate themselves from their fellow promoted sides, who I just called absolute dog shit. Um, (laughs) Luton Town versus Sheffield United (laughs) at Kent Orris Road this weekend. That's a Big opportunity. They beat Sheffield United already this year, three to two. Um, they're coming off a game where they scored four goals at St. James's Park. They scored four goals in the match previous to that against Brighton. A win against their fellow promoted side in this game and some results going their way in other games could see them as high as 15th in the table, which would be a massive moment. We've talked ad nauseum how important Kenilworth Road is and the atmosphere that those fans create for the Hatters. Um, so yeah, 14 goals in their last five games. They've they've won this this matchup against Sheffield United last or last earlier in the, in the season. They beat them at home last year in the championship. This is the game that they got to win for me. Um, a guy to highlight for for Luton is Elijah Adebayo, as I talked about before in the Newcastle recap. Five goals in his last four matches, and then on the Sheffield United side. Ben Brarett and Diaz has two goals in three games since joining from Villarreal on loan. I think he's a guy to look out for as well. A lot of pace. Um, does not look even a little bit Chilean, but he does play for the Chilean <laughs> national team. So shout out to him. Definitely want to keep an eye on this one. But Kyle, I heard that a little murmur that you have uh, a little skin on this game. Uh, murmur, murmur, murmur. That's right. 
listen, Luton's going to win. That's my lock. Uh, they have to win. Like like Sean mentioned, they could be as high as 15th. They could actually see themselves with a little bit of breathing room, which is something they're not used to at this point. The big takeaway for me from their game this weekend event against Newcastle was, sure, they took points off Newcastle. No one thought that would happen, but they had 2.39 XGs. That tells me that they're creating chances. They are a solid team. You do not create over two expected goals if you're not playing good goddamn football. I mean, think the United game, 3-0. United had less than one. West Ham had less than two. So, yep. you know, they're going to put up over two XGs. I expect them to score a good amount of goals against Sheffield, who is not in form. I don't know if they've ever been in form. <laughs> so this is, this is their chance. I, I think Luton wins this game. 100%. Yeah. That's the lock. Minus 135 on FanDuel. Bet it if you want. Don't bet it if you want to save some money because I've been rather I, poor on these. But I don't, don't want to say, I don't want to repeat what James and you said last week when you mushed me when I picked Aston Villa and you're like, oh, great pick, Sean. We'll be riding that for sure. But all three of us are down 50 bucks on Tuesday afternoon. Oh. It's like, fuck. Perfect. Uh, perfect. The, I just, because you mentioned it, um, Ross Barkley has been balling for Luton as of late. He's been the main creator in the central of the park. I think he had an assist. Um, he might have even had two assists against Newcastle. So another guy to keep an eye on. I just want because you're talking about chance creation. He's been the key cog for them in that standpoint. Yeah, finally finding his form. Like we said before, so is Luton Town. They are currently the highest goal scoring team from twelve, the position of twelfth down. The only team in that span that has the same amount of goals is Brentford with return of Ivan Tony with helping that out. But they have 32 goals scored for, which is a good number for a bottom side of the squad. So it will definitely be an exciting game to to watch. Um, if you're into the championship, it's probably a game that you want to be watching too, just because you'll probably see the return of Sheffield to, to check out your competitor and then see the team that you, you got bested by last season. But we are back to singular games this week. So without further ado, please enjoy them. Let us know your thoughts and feelings about our takes on the matches today, our lock of the week, and any hot news that's coming down the pipeline. But until then, gents, always a pleasure. This is EPL State of Mind saying goodnight.